I'm going to ask you to turn with me tonight in a copy of the Scriptures to the Gospel of Mark. We're looking in chapter number 6. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, please, if you have a Bible with you. And then if you turn also in the Gospel of John, that'll be in number 6. Mark chapter 6, we'll be reading and preaching from here. And then I'll call our attention to a verse or two in John's Gospel, chapter number 6. Someone said, Brother Hurt, we're waiting to see what God has laid on your heart for us this evening. I almost said me too. <laughs> I thought of a young fellow they tell about down in the Birmingham area where I go pretty often. He was preaching to a large crowd of people, the largest crowd that he'd ever spoken to. And in that audience was scores of preachers. It's sort of a preacher's meeting. And they had two speakers and him being just uh, the young man and was not... Uh, Real experienced in the ministry, he's rather nervous. And he's seated there by the older preacher, and the older preacher that was to follow him noticed that the young man was uptight, rather nervous and fidgety, and he spoke a word of encouragement, thought he might help calm him down a little before he got up there to speak. And the young man said to him, I appreciate you praying for me, he said, I'm nervous, I've never spoken to this larger crowd before, and said, especially all these preachers, it kind of intimidates me to think about uh, speaking to all these preachers, and he said, you just get up there and give us uh, God's word. said, we'll be praying for you. And he said, you know, I'm so nervous. And I wasn't aware of it till I got in the room. said, I ran off, uh, got in the church. I ran off from a room over there and left my Bible. And he said, I really don't have my Bible with me. And the man of God looked at his watch and he said, well, you don't have time to uh, go back to the room for your Bible. He said, if you like, you're welcome to use mine. I really don't need it till you finish. But the young man said, I have a message, prepared message in my Bible over at the room. He said, what will I preach? <laughs> and the man of God said, well, I guess just whatever God lays on your heart. And the young man took the man of God's Bible and he began to look through it and it was marked with a ribbon like some of the Bibles are. And he turned there and of course opened it where it was marked and had a topic cross here and an outline down the side. He looked at it, and he kind of liked it, and uh, he, he bowed his head, and the preacher heard the young man say, Lord, I appreciate you laying the message on my heart, <laughs> and uh, he prayed. I mean, they said, uh, you know, they couldn't believe it. I mean, a novice, a beginner, and boy, his message, it's every way you could measure it. It's correct, homiletically, and... All of it, you know, he's got three points and all of it literated and all the subpoints, and he's just right down the line. And while he's preaching, those men of God over that large audience, they're hollering, Amen, glory to God. All of them except one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's just sitting there staring at him, you know, thinking, that's not right. Well, that's my sermon. He's the kind of preacher that these other preachers use him in their churches and he's got a brand new sermon, new outline, fresh illustrations. and He'd resist the urge to preach that for weeks, saving it for 
that particular service and that night, that young preacher just going right down the line with it. About 35, 40 minutes later, he gave the Bible back to the man of God, and the man of God said, that's a good preaching. He said, thank you, brother. But he said, the problem is, that's my sermon, and that was for tonight. He said, I'll be up there in five minutes. What will I preach? He said, just preach whatever God lays on your heart. Amen. <laughs> so I don't do that tonight. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 6. The Gospel of John, chapter number 6. My joy to open God's Word with you. And if you have not been in the meeting, it's been a time of refreshing. The Lord's presence has been manifest in a very wonderful and a sweet way. Sunday morning, there was a wonderful sense of God's presence in this place. Sunday night, the Lord gave us another wonderful sense of His presence. Last night, the Lord was here in a real way. I've enjoyed the good music tonight, the touch of God's on your music, the anointing presence of the Lord, and I'm grateful I've been enabled to worship while you have lifted Him in music tonight, and my heart has been blessed, and I'm grateful for it. Always a joy to have the men of God with us in a meeting. We, we're glad you preachers and dear pastors have taken time to be with us tonight. Oftentimes, the message that God permits me to share with others has, first of all, it's been His Word to my own heart in a time of need. Without going into detail, to the truth of this message came to me <clears throat> forcefully at a time in my life that I desperately needed for God to say something to me. I didn't attempt to preach it as a sermon. In fact, I didn't even tie these passages together for a long time after that. It was just God coming to me, let me repeat, in a time of need and saying something to my own heart and encouraging me in that time and just letting me know who he was. And then later, when I was a pastor working my way through some of the books of the Bible, I came through this passage and he let me try to put it together as a sermon. Look with me tonight in Mark 6 and verse 30. And our text tells us tonight, the apostles gathered themselves together to Jesus and told him all things, both what they'd done and what they'd taught. He said to them, Come yourselves apart to a desert place and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place but shipped privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, Give you them to eat. They say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. He commanded them to make all sit down with companies upon the green grass. They sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves, 
gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Matthew tells us, plus the women and the children. I've been told by those that have great insight in the Scriptures that maybe there was as many as 15,000 people in that audience. 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Now that's his miracle of the loaves. All four gospel writers gives us that miracle. The only one, all four of them, uh, reports. But look at verse number 45. I'd preached from here before I saw that he's tying all this together. And I was taught by a Bible teacher over 30 years ago that you don't understand a, a verse, a text. Uh, if it starts with the word and, unless you understand what's preceded, you can't get the uh, truth of it, all of it, if you don't tie it to what's just preceded. So what he's just told us, what happened, and, the, and straightway, that's Mark's, Seemingly favorite word, we'd understand it immediately, immediately after this happened. So keep that in mind. He, he does something here rather unusual. And straightway he constrained his disciples. We wouldn't injure that truth if we suggested that the word constrained means he insisted. Literally, he made them, had to use some force to do it. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before to Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I want you to think in particular tonight about verse 52. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. What did he intend for them to learn about the miracle of the loaves that they did not learn? This text indicates that there was something that he intended for them to get hold of in that miracle that they failed to lay hold of. Literally, when it says they considered not the miracle, they had not the sense to learn the lesson of the Lord. I want to talk to us tonight about the lesson of the Lord. They considered not the miracle of the Lord. I preached through this book. When I was in the pastorate, my style of preaching was to take a book and just try to work our way through it. Sunday mornings, we went through the Gospel of Luke, spent a couple years, spent over a year in the Gospel of Mark. And I recall when we came to this text, when God let me 
share it as I'm attempting to tonight. I entitled the message then, Don't Forget the Bread. The, the apostles did. He just worked a miracle, immediately having worked, I think, one of the greatest miracles he ever performed. Great significance to it in that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all gives us this miracle. And immediately he pushes them out to sea. And he goes upon the mountain to pray. And they encounter a storm and it's so severe that in their trying to get through this contrary wind, it's called, they're putting forth such an effort. They're toiling in their rowing. But the Scripture says the wind was contrary to them. He's teaching a lesson in the miracle of the lows and he's giving an examination in the storm. He often does that. Often he will take and begin to work in a way in our lives to get us to learn something about who he is and what he can do. And then he'll examine us to see how well we are learning the lessons that he's attempting to teach us. A lesson being taught and an examination being given. Now, they've encountered a storm and it's an unusual storm because these disciples, they, they know the water. They've lived out there. They've made a living out there. But this time, this storm had so affected them that the Scripture says that uh, they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure. I mean, it's so unusual for them. Someone has suggested that uh, literally it is saying that they were bent out of shape. And they're filled with amazement and wonder. And then the Scripture tells us in the 52nd verse, for or because they considered not the miracle of the Lord. There's four lessons, I believe, tonight that our Lord wants us to think about and to learn from this miracle that those disciples failed to lay hold of. The first one. Look back with me, please, in the Scripture. They've gone away from the crowd. The Bible tells us that the crowds were so great around them that they couldn't even find time for a meal. Not enough leisure even so much as to eat. And the Lord has said to His disciples, He said, Now, let's come apart. Let's come apart into an isolated place, a desert place. And He said, We'll do that in order that we can rest a while. So get the picture. Moving away from this crowd, away from the pressure, and the Lord sees the importance, of course, of finding a little rest. And someone has said, If we don't come apart occasionally, we'll literally come apart. And how true that is. And so he's brought them alone, uh, intended to be alone. And the Scripture says that there's a, a large number of people, they, they see where they're going. And they beat them there. This impressed me again this afternoon as I looked at it when they got to where they were going and when he came out of that little vessel and he saw this crowd, he was moved. But he was not moved because it irritated him and frustrated him. 
and aggravated him. When he saw the crowd of people, though they're getting alone for some rest and, re- and, and to be so they can be refreshed, when he sees this crowd of people, the scripture says he's moved toward them with compassion because he sees them as a group of sheep that's lost without a shepherd. He spends a considerable amount of time teaching them many things. Things they needed to know. Of course, he always spoke to people right at their point of need. So many things he talks to them about. It's getting late now. The time is far past, verse 55 says. And the disciples, they are aware that they have a problem on their hands. So here's what I want you to see. And they make a suggestion to him that he he get rid of the problem. Send them away. And the Lord did not accept their suggestion. His response back was, now they they said, Lord, this is a crowd of people. Now you get the picture tonight. Uh, 5,000 men, there's the women, there's the children. I don't know that there's 15,000. Could have been, could have been more. But it's a big crowd of people and they've been there all day. And uh, they've been listening to him. It's late in the evening and they have nothing to eat. And the disciples, let me repeat, they pick up on it. They realize that there is a problem that they are facing and their suggestion is like most of the time we do. Lord, not this. Get rid of this, Lord. I mean, send it away. And he comes right back to them and he says, you take care of it. Notice what he says. You give them to eat. They suggest you send them away so they can go uh, to the villages round about. They can buy themselves some bread. Uh, They have nothing to eat. And if you let me paraphrase it, he says, you feed them. I'll not send them away. I'm aware they have a need. I'm aware it's a problem. And and it's a, it's a great problem. But he said, you, you face this situation and you, you take care of the need. And then he said to him, you go and see how much bread you have. One of them suggested why he said we'd need 200 penny worth of bread. We're told in John who said that. By the year's wages, take 200 penny worth of bread. Uh, and elsewhere it says just to give them a little. He asked them, how many loaves have you? Now, in John's account, the Scripture tells us in chapter 6 and verse number 5, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw this company come to him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Then verse 6, he said this to prove him, for he, that is the Lord, he himself knew what he would do. I'm glad he always knows. And Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. I like this next fellow that's mentioned, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He said, there's a lad here. <laughs> said he's got five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Our Lord had asked the question, how much bread have you? Go and see. And Andrew picked up on his word, and in response to Jesus' his, 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 his command to him, go and see, Andrew's returned and said, there's a lad here, and he's got these five loaves and two little fishes. I used to say when I was a pastor, if Andrew would show up, I'd put him over junior church. I mean, he had a way with those little fellows, amen? He'd already found him and looked in his lunch bucket and knew how much food he had. 
He said, there's five loaves and, and these two little fish, but uh, granted, Lord, this, it's little, and what is this that uh, among so many? I think the Lord smiled and He said, make them sit down. Ranks of hundreds and then fifty. And our text told us tonight that He looked up to He brought the blessing of God upon that lad's lunch. He broke the bread. He divided the fish. And He gave to those disciples and those disciples did what would have been impossible. And when they said, send them away, and when He said, you feed them, the Lord is teaching them, first of all, the lesson that we ought to learn tonight, the lesson from the loaves, is that we should never assess our situation in light of our own resources. See, they looked at their situation. They looked at that which was at hand. They looked at the problem they had. And they, they thought of solving the problem, meeting the need in light of their own resources. And they said, it can't be done. Why, it was Philip who said, Lord, it'd take a year's wages. Somebody would have to work all year. And uh, then it'd just be able to give them a little... I mean, when we run up on a situation that overwhelms us, when we face a problem that, that we can't solve, if we're not careful, we fall into the group that Philip's in. I mean, you've always got the crowd of, I call them, the figures. They begin to figure. They, they take the calculator out and they figure up what they have and what's needed. And they say, Lord, it can't be done. Not only is that crowd around, but there's a crowd around that they are moved by their feeling. They just don't feel it can be done. But I like Andrew and his group. Andrew hears the Word of God. Andrew responds to the Word of God. The Lord said, you see how much you got on hand? And he's followed that and come back and said, Lord, here's a lad. You've got these five loaves, not loaves of bread as we think of loaves. More like a little biscuit. Little barley loaves, like a little wafer, like a little cracker. And those fish was not large rainbow trout. Well, they'd have been more like a little, little relish, the, just a little sardine that that little boy had to make that hard bread palatable and tasty. And, and he put that on his bread. And here's Andrew said, Lord, this lad with these five loaves and these two little fish. And Jesus said, let me have it. Now listen to me. We need to learn the lesson of the lows. There's someone facing the situation tonight. It overwhelms you. You say, Lord, please, not this. Send this away, Lord. Lord, don't let this happen. Lord, why did this have to come along? And as we look at it, and especially in light of our own resources, and we look at that problem that overwhelms us, and, and, and we, we, we don't know what we're going to do, and if we're not careful, since we have not learned the lesson of the lows, we're like the disciples, bent out of shape, pushing panic buttons, and full of fear. And it said it's because they learned not the lesson of the lows. Now, I'm not being hard on them. I told you a moment ago there was a time in my walk with Him in my Christian life. I was a pastor in those days. And I'm not permitted to go into any detail and it wouldn't be necessary anyway. But I tell you, you're talking about being overwhelmed. You're talking about wanting to push a panic button and just, I mean, just escape and get away. Just, I mean, I faced it all. 
And yet the reality was there's nowhere to run. Reality was that there was no way out from the human perspective. And in reading this scripture, it came alive to my own heart that when he said to them, there is something that you're to do, and it was an impossibility. Feed 5,000 men with nothing? When the Lord began to speak to my own heart, I, I tell you that was a day as I look back upon it now. It was a time when he took this scripture and said something to me that I desperately needed him to speak to my heart about. We're like the disciples. We face a hard place, difficult place. We face an impossibility. We face something that overwhelms us. And since we've not learned the lesson of who He is and what He can do, if we're not careful, we begin to assess the situation. We begin to measure the problem in light of our abilities and our resources. And if we're not careful, we will be like the disciples in that little vessel going to pieces. I turned back there a moment ago and was looking at the Scripture. God's ancient people Israel. They are facing a situation and in light of their own resources, they were intimidated. They were full of fear. A giant of a man would walk out twice a day and blaspheme Israel's God. He'd belittle the armies of Israel. He'd say, you give me a man. And he'd done that 40 days, a man nine feet tall plus, and he'd walk out there, and I repeat, wicked and ungodly and blaspheming. And one day a little lad by the name of David, he walks up and shows up on the scene about the time he's blaspheming God, and David says, somebody ought to do something about him. Well, one of David's brothers said, we know the naughtiness of your heart. You, you're showing off. You're arrogant. You run off an irresponsible and left those sheep. And David said, no, I'm here under the direction of my father. He'd taken vittles to his brothers because his father sent him there and walked out there and heard that blasphemer putting God down. David was stirred and said, somebody ought to take care of him. Somebody went and told King Saul. He said, there's a fellow out there, a young fellow. He's wanting to take on Goliath. Saul said, bring him in here. And he went in to see the king, and there he was, just a lad. King Saul uh, inquired who he was, found out who he was. Why, he said, you couldn't, you couldn't go out there and face him. Why, he's a man of war from his youth, and here you are just a youth. There'd be no way you could do that. See, they're looking at their situation in light of their own resource. And you know what David said? David said, there's a bear came out one day and wanted to take one of my sheep, and I broke his neck with my bare hand. Oh, Saul looked at him, and David said, there's a lion came out one day, and I took care of him. Well, Saul got to thinking, man. He thought, you know, he couldn't probably take on the giant, but it might build a little morale in, in my men. And he put his armor on him. And imagine Saul, head and shoulder above the average person. Here's David, just a lad. And that thing fell down over him and put that helmet on him, fell all down over his neck. David said, take it off. I hadn't proved it. He said, I got something here I know that'll work. Read it. I'm not, I'm not even reading between the lines, amen. I mean, it's there. I can't see with my glasses off. You still with me? Amen. Oh, 
He went back out there and, and he disdained him and, and belittled him and put him down. David said, I come to you in the name of that one you've blasphemed. Took his own sword and took his head off. You're talking about a group of Israeli soldiers getting stirred up and full of courage. That, that motivated them then. But you see, they're doing like most of us. We look at that situation, God's tapped someone to do something, and it's intimidating you. And when you begin to look at the entire trip, you look at the entire journey, you look at the responsibility, you look at your own abilities, your own resources, and it intimidates you. And I meet people all over this country, they've been running from the call of God. They will not get in on what God's got for them because they try to measure, they try to assess what God wants them to do in their own light of their own ability. If we're not careful, we'll be like Israel was back yonder when they sent out the spies. God wanted them to get into the promised land, the land that He had for them, the land flowing, the land full, the land of freedom and blessing. Well, they went out, they came back, and you know the report, they said there's, there's giants over there. And as we looked at them and, in, and looked at ourselves, we looked like grasshoppers in their sight. Two out of that group said, we're well able to go. We ought to go now and do it. And they're the only two that ever got into the land. But see, if we're not careful, we assess our situation. We begin to measure. We begin to take inventory. And then we conclude that it can't be done. That's lesson number one. We should never assess our situation in light of our own resources. But lesson number two, so obvious, and it needs to come right out of that on the heels of it quickly. And let me suggest to you, we need to learn the second lesson from the lows that not only should I make that, uh, make that uh, decision on, in light of my own resources, but I should learn that little is much when God is in it. When God comes into the picture. Granted that they only had a little, uh, five lows and two, two little fish, I and mean, it's not much. But when the Lord took over, it's not their ability that uh, he was looking for. Now his sufficiency is in the picture after that, that lunch of that little lad had been transferred to the hands of the Lord. He put God's blessing upon it and he broke it and he distributed it and then multiplied it. And the scripture says they all, it wasn't that they just had a little, the scripture said they were all filled out of a lad's lunch. I mean, just a little, but the second lesson is this. Little is much when God is in it. He gave me another verse right at that same time. And, and through the years when the young people and children asked me to sign their Bible, I put beside of my name, Ephesians 3 and verse number 20, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. See, our asking, our thinking. I mean, we're not asking. We do not exhaust His ability in our asking. I've heard it misquoted. It, 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 the text does not say it's above everything we could, we could ask or think. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above what we ask or what we think. See, those Ephesians in their thinking and then their asking in their prayer, I mean, it didn't start to come up to the level that he was able to do and what he wanted to do. And many of us in our asking tonight is far beneath of His ability and what He wants to do for us. Little is much when God is in it. 
I heard of a fella, he just changed jobs. He's the new CEO of a large corporation. They've moved him into this affluent area, and he tells about it. He said the first Saturday morning out in the yard there, and he's meeting some neighbors, and they were talking and said his neighbor next door had a big Rolls Royce parked there in his drive, and he, the company, had given him the largest Cadillac two years ago, and they still made those big ones, and largest Cadillac that they made, and his was parked there. And he's interested in cars, and he begins to ask about the roads. And he asked his his neighbor how much horsepower that thing has. And the fellow said, I don't know. He said, how much horsepower has that Cadillac got? He said, 450 horsepower. He said, let me check the, let me go check the manual. He looked at his, at his manual and he said, doesn't say anything about how much horsepower. He said, uh, you've uh, kindled interest. He said, let, let, let me call. And he made a call and the person that answered him said, uh, we're not sure. He said, could you find out? He said, is it that important? He said, yes. And, and they, and, and they sent off a wire and the message came back and it was one word said sufficient. <laughs> well, they said, you don't need to be concerned about how much horsepower a Rolls Royce has. It's got enough. It's adequate. It's sufficient. Oh, I tell you tonight, it set some of us free. If somehow we could get a hold of the lesson of the laws that little is much when God is in it. It's not that we have to be so capable and we, not that we have to have such abilities. I mean, if we have them, they have to be surrendered to Him or He can't even use us. Not looking for my ability. He's looking for my availability tonight. Give him what I've got. And let him come on the scene. And let him put his power and his blessing. And I tell you, your little tonight can become much when God is in it. Someone in this room tonight, you're discouraged. You've been looking at that problem and it looms bigger. Every time you look at it, it just seems to get bigger. Problems are like that. You go to bed at night, if you're thinking about it, when you awaken in the morning, it'll be on your mind for the, I mean, the first thing you think about. And it finally looms so large, we can't even see God. I mean, we get a big, huge problem and a little God. And it dictates to us and, it, and the circumstances will, will, will enslave us if we're not careful. And we need to come to understand that I am not to assess my situation and conclude that it can't be done. Not in light of my own resources, but learn that little is much when God is in it. And then there's a third lesson tonight. Not only should I learn from the lows that in the light of my own abilities and resources, uh, I should never make any decision with just that in mind. Come to understand that little is much when God takes over. But then this is encouraging to me. This is sweet to me. The third lesson that I see here. Every difficulty encountered with Christ. Notice that now. They, they face in this situation that to say the least was a difficulty. Responsibility they have overwhelming to them. And then he, to test them, he puts them in that little vessel and pushes them out at sea in the middle of that storm. And, uh, then comes walking to them and steps aboard and calms the situation and, uh, calms their own hearts. But the lesson is this. Every difficulty encountered with Him enriches you. It doesn't diminish you. It doesn't really, in the long run, uh, it won't harm you. It doesn't take away. You notice the Scripture says, after this was all over, and here's what I want you to see, 
They had no bread to start with. Now that's the difficulty they're facing. They have been told by him to feed a multitude and they have nothing to feed them with. But when it's over, the Bible says they took up, verse 43, 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. I have heard people talk about this as just, you know, scraps and something that's not wholesome. But when you look at John's account, who wrote much later than the synoptic gospels, John gives a little added insight. You know what Jesus told them? Jesus said, now you take that up that nothing be wasted. It's wholesome bread. You don't want anything to go to waste. And you take up that which is that you didn't use. And they took up 12 baskets and immediately he put them in a ship. Now what did they do with the bread? Take with me. He said, I don't want it to go to waste. They didn't leave it out there. They got a miracle at their feet out at sea when they're going to pieces. I mean, they're sitting there with a miracle right at their feet just a little earlier in the evening. It's late in the evening when he's teaching them and long, real late in the evening. He's, he performed his miracle. They tuck up the bread and now here they are in the middle of the storm and they got 12 baskets of bread with them. One person asked me, Brother Hurd, is, is there some significance to that twelve? I think so. Twelve of those preachers. Preachers need bread, amen. I mean, he looking after them. And the point is this, and the lesson for our hearts tonight is that when you face that situation, and some of you have been thinking of a situation tonight, could be in the physical realm, financial realm, it could be an emotional realm, it could be a circumstance, it could be could be a number of things tonight. And it strikes terror to us. Oh, we, we awake in the morning and say, Oh God, I would that this was a dream, that it wasn't real. And we'd like to escape it. We'd like for Him to send it away. But reality is most of the time, He doesn't send it away. And we can't run from it. We have to sooner or later face the realities of life. And so if we're not careful, our hearts are full of fear and, and anxiety. And we, we fret over it. We lose our joy over it. We lose our peace over it. And uh, it's because we're looking at it in light of our ability without bringing Him on the scene. And then when you're willing to face that with Him, that difficulty that you encounter with Him will enrich you instead of diminishing you. If we had the time tonight, we won't take the time, but if we had time tonight... We could have folks in this building to stand and give a word of testimony after you'd had a little time to reflect. And I tell you, you could tell us about some storms in your life, difficulties in your life. You could talk about some times of tests and trial in your life that, I mean, you didn't run from. It didn't make you a bitter person. You was willing to encounter it. Even though you didn't understand it, you was willing to say, Lord, uh, you're still on the throne. I'm your child. And I'm willing, Lord, you helping me, and I'll take whatever comes. And there's people in this audience tonight, and I'm thinking of one that has shared something with me in the days past. I wouldn't embarrass you. But oh, when you told me about it, I sensed then the enrichment. I sensed then the lessons that you learned about our gracious Lord when you was willing to stand and to face that reality Though it was difficult to say the least, now you can testify and say, it didn't really take away from me.
It helped me. It's like fire doesn't destroy the, the metal. Fire doesn't destroy the gold. It makes it more precious. It takes away that which is unreal in the dross it, when it goes through the fire. And tonight, if you'll just look at that situation and say to Him, you helping me, Lord. you giving me wisdom and grace. I'll not run from this. I'll stay faithful and true. I'll stay with you. And I tell you, there'll be a day come on the other side that you can say, He enriched me. He helped me. I thought earlier, I thought this afternoon, that the Lord might let me share something tonight. And I even thought after I started speaking and closing here tonight, something that I, I don't often share. I doubt if anyone in this area has ever heard me mention it. But... Uh, he has let me know even since I started preaching that He doesn't want me to tonight. Just suffice it to say that I, I think I'm safe in saying His darkest hour in 32, uh, three years that I've tried to live for Him, the darkest hour I was ever called upon to go through. As I said, I'm not permitted <clears throat> even often to ever even mention it, uh, much less in a sermon. Threatened to do me in, to say the least. Enemy said it's over. But if he'd have permitted me to tell you that tonight, and I trusted uh, I could have said it in the right spirit, I could say to you that that turned in to be the most blessed experience in 32 plus years God has ever let me encounter. We threatened to be the end. And circumstances themselves said, it's it, it's over. And the man who is with the Lord now brought not this text to me, but a similar scripture and reality. He said to me, he may not tell you why, he don't often do that, and he quoted Spurgeon. And said, Spurgeon used to say, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. A man of God whom I respected and looked up to, and I mentioned him today. He was with a group I was with. He was one of my mentors in my early ministry. He and A.W. Tozer was close friends, and I was with that group in my ministry. Uh, first part of my ministry. Such a man of God. Aged man then. Was so sensitive to the Spirit of God and had such wisdom of God. And I can honestly say to you that what the enemy told me was the end turned out to be, I think I'm safe in saying in my understanding, the most blessed experience he ever let me go through. He don't want me to tell you that. I, I want to close by sharing something that trivial, really. It may seem silly to some of you. I can laugh about it now, but I couldn't then. I'm talking about a difficulty. I'm talking about a problem. I'm talking about a need. I'd started a meeting. I'd gotten to where I was to start, and I'd become aware on my way there that I was having car trouble. Serious car trouble turned out to be, and I, you know, I'm not a mechanic, but I, I know enough about it. I knew I had a problem. It was a transmission problem. And I bought a car, and the car had a little age on it, but it had no miles on it. I have a brother that, uh, he, he kindly helps keep my car running, and I took him to see it. And the person, the price they had on it was a Park Avenue Buick, and give me a good ride on the road. I had a back problem, and that would help me. And I couldn't afford a new Park Avenue. And this, I mean, practically was a brand new one. Uh, but it did have a little age on it. And the couple that bought it, he'd passed away. 
And his wife attempted to drive it a few times, and the family took it away from her, said she's dangerous with it. And so uh, now she's laid aside, and the car's been parked for three years, and it's brand new, has no miles on it. And when the person found out that I was in the car, and he mentioned to him, and I'll tell you, I didn't, you know, that was worked out for him. And I, you know, boy, when they told me what they'd let me in the car for, my brother said, man, life, if you have to put a transmission mode on everything in it, it'd be worth it. And so, you know, he's my counselor when it comes to a car. So I went and got the car, and I hadn't had it very long. And sure enough, going to a meeting, and I was in the mountainous area. I'm from the country, but I'm talking about mountains now. And I stayed 25 miles from the church, uh, in a motel, closest motel to the place. It was way up in a mountainous area. Coal mining part of the country up in there. And I'm going up through there that night and there are roads like this. I mean winding roads and there's no guardrails and you can look off over here and it's a bottomless pit way off there. And, uh, you know, I look and, and my car started doing that. You know, and I got to another gear. And, you know, I, I knew it was a, you know, news transmission. Had a fellow down in church and he went out there and he, oh, he said, preach that thing. It's gone, boy. You, you do well get back over there 25 miles. And he gave me two names of two garages to call. One of them was a Buick dealer, another was a, another dealer there. So I called him the next morning. And I said to him, told him my problem. Told him how long I'd be there. That's Thursday morning. Yeah, Thursday morning. Or no, it's Friday morning. And I said, I'll be here to, uh, today and tomorrow. Leave Sunday after morning service. He said, man, if we do it, we'd have to get right on it. And he said, I'd get some folks to stay with it, preacher. And, and I said, uh, well, you know, I'm a long ways from home and uh, tell me in ballpark figure, what are we talking about? What can you do that for? And he said, oh, between twelve dollars and $1,500. I like fell over. I said, $1,200? I said, well, last transmission I got, I think, was three hundred. <laughs> he said, when? I said, well, it's been a while. He said, it's been a long while. <laughs> well, we laugh and talk a little bit. Now, I don't read something I'm not. I, I wouldn't try and I don't go around telling you no hard luck story, none of that. I'm not... Uh, you know, I, I wasn't doing that trying to get him to do something for nothing, but I do look for a good deal if I can find one. So I called the other fellow, and he said, well, that kind of transmission? He said, uh, you're talking not under 12, and it could go to 17. I said, thank you. <laughs> I prayed about that. I'm being honest. I talked to the Lord. I said, now, Lord, what I need to do? I don't claim to hear God like I'd hear you. I don't have no hotline to heaven. I don't hear a voice. But I tell you, God made as clear in my heart as He's ever. He said to me, I got that under control. You know, and I want to make sure it's Him. And I said, Lord, and He said, you know, everything's all right. And I got peace about it. I'm being, I got just, I was calm about it. Drove that car back up that mountain that night and it did it again. I said, Lord, you hear that? <laughs> Doing it again. And it did. Seemed like His work. Preacher said, I said, yeah, I talk, fellas, but I said, you know, I, I'm going to leave here Sunday and I'm going away on up towards Roanoke, Virginia. I drive back out the interstate and where I was at in the mountains and drive all afternoon on up near Roanoke, start a meeting. I said, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to trust the thing. If it falls down, I'll call and tell them, come get me. And he said, all right, I, you know, you, I'll pray for you. I took off after morning service and uh, got over near the interstate and I'd have time to stop for lunch, you know, to eat a meal. So I pulled in a fast food place and got me a chicken sandwich. And uh, it's cold and half snow and sleet and rain. And uh, pulled up there to pay her and put the window down. And when the window down, his electric went boom, it went all the way to the bottom of the door. I mean, I heard it hit down the bottom. Wow. And I said, good night. My window fell out of this thing. I hit the button, sure enough, nothing. 
Well, I pulled in over there. There's a station, kind of a grocery station like, you know, there to the little place. And I said to him, you got anybody working here? No, no. I said, I got a one dad. No, we don't do any mechanic work here on Sunday. I said, you got a cardboard? No, I don't have a thing, he said. He said, check over there. And I went over there and the said, no, I don't have a thing. We don't. Uh... Well, I had to go. I mean, I, I got to preach at 6 o'clock and I got five hours of driving. Here it is, you know, just barely enough time. Rain, sleep. You know anything about a park avenue? They, you know, it doesn't have any shield. That whole window just down. And that blowing right on me here. That's all the way up I got all up like I could, put a coat up over me. Devil, I talk about God and talk to you. Devil can talk to you too. I promise you he'll do it. Devil said, you're the biggest nut in the country. And I agreed with him, amen. I said, you got that right. Oh, he reminded me. He don't have to be out here running up and down a road like this. Old car falling apart. I mean, pardon me, I'm not very spiritual, but he caused me to think about what I left back there. What the company offered. He was in a business for a company. And, you know, and I don't brag about that, but, you know, my family's still in business. They're business people. And the devil said to me, Oh, car falling all apart, window falling out, it raining on you. I just kept driving. Got up there where I got to, had to go and checked in the motel, wet as I could be, cold, half roll. Called the preacher and he said, How you doing, preacher? And I said, I'm not doing too good. <laughs> What in the world's wrong with you? And I said, you got some of my tapes? Yeah, a whole lot of them. I said, play one of my tapes tonight. I'll see you tomorrow night. Amen. <laughs> oh, preacher, what's wrong with you? And he came, I told him. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. He came over, he and another fellow, and they, they brought a car. And he said, here, dri- drive this car while you're here. He said, we got a man in our church. He said, I-, I called him, and he's real busy this week. So he just said, to get this car to you and let you drive it while you're here. And before you leave on on Friday, he said uh, he'll fix that window. And he said he knows what it is. He just something slipped off or a little catch of something broke in there. And he said no problem, but he just can't get to it till toward on up in the week. So I he brought a car for me to drive, and I never said that to anybody anything else. He brought that car back Friday night. He said, "Brother Hurt, uh, I fixed your window. I said, wasn't any problem." I said, "What owe you nothing?" He said, "Didn't take a few minutes." But he said, "You know that car had a transmission problem." I said, was that what that was? <laughs> well, he said, when I drove it out of the lot and tuck it up to my place, he said, man, we like not got it in the garage. I said, really? He said that we put a new transmission in it. Oh, I said, brother. He said, uh, put all new belts on it for you. Got the, your, what was it, uh, air conditioner. He said, that needs juicing up a little. He said, two or three things we, we done while I was in there. We could tell you had, you had a leak there. You'll need that on up in here. And he said that we fixed that. And done a number of stuff. I said to him, I said, man, I'll have to borrow home for some money. I said, how much do you? He said, nothing. I said, oh, you're not sure. Hell, he said, no. And big tears. God hears this, big tears. He said, when I first saw you had this major problem, I said, now, Lord, I wish I was in a position to fix that. And said, the Lord just assured me, you're going to be. He said, I couldn't tell you what God did for me this week. When I made up my mind to fix that car for his preacher, I said, are you serious? He said, brother, it's like a brand new car. I got back over to the motel that night. And I'm being honest. I, I, I thanked him as kind as a new hand. But I got down on my knees and I thanked the Lord. And I, and I said, Lord, I know now why you put that assurance in my heart way back over here in the mountains. But pardon me, but you know what I said to him? And he knows I said this to him. 
I said, but I got a question. How come you had to let that old wind and all that thing fall out over <laughs> on the way up here? Why didn't you just let it get up here and him do it? <laughs> I'm talking about difficulties in Calvary. And he said, well, he wouldn't have known you had a transmission. And I'm being honest. I'm no, you know, I don't want to come across as overpriced. I don't go around bad-mouthing and telling people, trying to get people to do something bad. I don't do that. I don't believe in that. I wasn't the one up there and told him that. I didn't even have that in mind. And he said, I had to let the window fall out on you for him to know you need the transmission. <laughs> well, if your window fell out today, don't get upset. He may be getting your transmission. Amen. <laughs> A difficulty encountered with him will enrich you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Now, as I said, it's something trivial, something silly. But I tell you, when God's doing something in your heart and letting you know it, it becomes real. What are you facing tonight? I'm talking to a family in this room tonight. I don't know exactly who it is. But you've been facing something that's frightening you. It's bringing some dread to you. You've even longed and wished that it wasn't there. But it is there. You can't run from it. Let me urge you tonight, encounter it with him. Bring him on the scene. Learn that when he takes over, it's not us being able, it's him. Our Father, seal these truths, Lord. Cause your word to take root tonight in our hearts. Lord, it's just been some simple truth, scattering truth, really, but Something you've brought to my attention more than once to help me in time of need. Help me tonight to consider the miracle of the Lord. What all is involved in who you are and what you want to say to us. Thank you for the, the blessings that's been ours. Even when it didn't appear to be a blessed time. But you turned it into something that enriched us. When the enemy had something else in mind, but as Joseph said, but God. Thank you for those times when you took over and made a blessing out of something that otherwise would have been a curse. I pray for your people tonight. Lord, I don't know who all you want to talk to, but some of us tonight, you're saying something to us. And may this be a night that we learn the lesson of the Lord. Amen. Stand with us, please, all over the room. The pastor will be here in a moment. You may just want to come talk to him. There are people here now talking to God. You may want to slip out and just you're coming saying, Lord, I'm going to bring this need. I'm not going to fret over it anymore. I'm not going to become embittered over it. I'm not going to blame other people. I'm not going to, I'm going to quit running from it. I'm going to face it and let you do what you want to do. While we wait, while they bless us with music, you just come. There's people kneeling around here. Come on. God's talking to a whole lot of hearts. I sense He is. While we wait, God bless you. Come on. Just, just bring that need. Hey, maybe some young person, God's been tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I've got something for you to do. And it's, oh, it's, it's been frightening you. You've been wondering, oh God, I can't do that. I tell you, it won't, it won't get better till you, you just put up the white flag and say, Lord, here am I. Some in this room tonight, there's something overwhelming you. And, and indeed, it's a fact. There's burdens here tonight. And they're too big for you to carry. And you'd like for God to send them away. Every parent knows when the child is in trouble, that's your trouble. 
Every grandparent knows when the grandchild suffers, you're suffering with them. God will let you be an intercessor as I preached the other night. And you can come on their behalf. While we wait, come on. God's working.